our strategy is going to be 100% organized around this deliverable. And because the whole organization is organized around that, we can't be copied easily. That's the idea. We cannot be copied. We will sit alone in the marketplace. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Awesome, man. Welcome back to the podcast. This is the first time we've been on video for the show. Is it going to change your behavior at all? I should have changed my behavior last week. Busted my lip, broke my tooth. I mean, <laughs> this is not a good first week for me to be on video. So here we go. <laughs> I don't think anybody's watching the video anyway. The basic idea of us putting up the video is we're going to use some of the quotes, video content for here to go out to other platforms like TikTok. YouTube, LinkedIn, all that classic distribution strategy. It's the hopes that we can grow a larger audience, people interested in building seven-figure lifestyle businesses. But the core focus is ultimately like that audio pod. And anybody watching the video right now is no, these guys have been doing a podcast for years. I mean, we got to get some at least hoodies with TMBA on it. I contacted a company last week. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, I had a thesis that I was trying to convince you of. Basically, the idea was we want to grow this podcast audience. It's something that we've kind of done for the last 10 years is do this show, but we haven't like actively tracked our results necessarily in terms of like downloads. So no. this year, we're just going to get like a little bit more serious about it. The basic idea is like there's all these new distribution platforms for content like we produce and we haven't pursued any of it. Kind of stuck to the traditional podcast avenue. Yeah. If you build it, they will come put out a podcast episode and get back to work kind of thing. But you see things like TikTok now, we're doing really good TikTok work for Dynamite Jobs. You see LinkedIn kind of taking off. I was just talking with a speaker for DC Mexico about how their LinkedIn channel is just completely taken off. I think the new CEO of LinkedIn is much more focused on that as like a content platform. You see a lot of people building businesses off of Twitter and then a lot more tools that make it simpler to do these redistribution things. So hopefully if we can spit some fire on the podcast, we can create some alternate media out of it and send it off to the webs and we'll see. All right. Today's episode, it's our first of 2023, where it's me and the boss man talking business, our favorite format. We call them five pointers. We're going to go through five ways to double your business in 2023. I was thinking about this Ian, like basically the setup in my head is I was looking at our numbers, writing our annual review. And I was like, basically our business doubled last year. I mean, that's not how it felt at the time. You know, it felt like behind the ball, lots of work, another employee review, got to finish the podcast. You know, it just feels like a lot of frenetic energy. But on reflection, I looked at the numbers and said, man, we almost doubled. Awesome. And something, why not? Why don't we open ourselves up to the opportunity to do that again this year? And I'm willing to bet that there's not a listener out there who wouldn't want to double their business this year too, especially if it doesn't require tons of stress or investment. And so I thought maybe there's some concepts we could talk about today that weren't the super obvious ones, 
that might have the potential to get you on that path to some meaningful growth in 2023. So the first one, buy a new expensive logo for your podcast. Just kidding. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great <laughs> strategy, right? Just upgrade That's the logo. That's exactly what we did. I was looking at a, a retrospective. We're going to have a guest on and they were talking about how they grew their agency to $3 million. And one of the things he said that if he could do it all over again, he would just do one page websites because you have all these tools now, like you send them to a form or an email opt-in or you're coming in from Twitter. You don't necessarily need like a complicated website. You need a one-pager that says what your unique value proposition in the world is for a lot of these agencies. And the one thing he said is like, that page would look amazing. And that's something I'm sort of turning the corner on. This is a complete aside. I don't know. What's your thoughts? I feel like maybe it's been just a general mistake that we haven't invested a little bit more in design over our careers. Well, as somebody that invested in, in design for four years, I can say it's uh, kind of both a commodity and an asset in that way. It's really hard to make that kind of decision, I think, because in a lot of ways, it's easy to lean on design as the problem. But if you were to go like design versus copy, if you had an agency, I would go copy. Yeah. If you're going to go design versus copy and you had like a fashion brand, I would probably go design. So I think some of it just depends on the niche that you're in. Now, B2B, I think like there's a lot of forgiveness there because everybody knows like how expensive it is to execute and like it's not necessarily essential. So for us, I think design has always been kind of good enough. But you look to some of the people that have like really invested in design or have maybe just found the right designers. I think that's part of it too, is just like finding the right person that can communicate your vision. They don't necessarily need to be like the best designers in the world, but they can like visually recreate what your vision is or your mission. That's kind of hard to do. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Like, when's the right moment for a redesign? It's like the eternal question. It's one of those things like, the enemy's coming and you're pulling out arrows. It's always in there. It's always back there in the quiver, like redesign. And I think maybe we've been against it for that reason. It's like, hey, that's soft to pull out the redesign is the reason your business isn't working or making more money. And so we just never go for it. And maybe that's held some of our stuff back over the years. So I'm willing to take a fresh look at it in 2023. All right. Aside from uh, expensive, nice logos, let's get in without further ado. Let's jump in our five ways to think about doubling your business in 2023. Number one, a strangely controversial one. So I'll bring it up again. We're going to call it niche down to blow up. In the past, we've called it niching until it hurts. We've done episodes about it. You can dig into the archives on it, but it continues to be a theme. It was on the main stage at DCBKK this year. Podcast guests, John Solizarno, first came on the pod with an agency called Solo Media Group. It's the kind of branding that a lot of us start with. And what you see is often as you progress as a salesperson, as a marketer, as an entrepreneur, that branding gets more pointy and decisive. We did lightning talks at the same conference, Ian, and three of the five lightning talks were about the founder's bravery to do this. You know, in John's case, he went from being solo media group to being a guy on TikTok that says, talks about Shopify apps with the Shopify logo and says, we build Shopify apps. I'm the Shopify app guy. And this is stuff we were reading in Purple Cow in episode number one 
on the TMVA podcast practically. But still now, almost 15 years later, the challenge of essentially declaring yourself the best for a use case that might not include all of the customers you would want to serve ideally remains, I think, one of the biggest, like, let's just call it head out there. I don't think there's a better term for it. It's just a head like founders of small businesses, including ourselves, especially when you get a team involved. If you think it's hard for a founder to become the Shopify store guy, app guy, wait until you have 10 people whose livelihoods depend on it. Now it's a group discussion and you stick to, well, let's stick with app, good app developers because, well, not everybody uses Shopify, right? Our best client last year doesn't use Shopify. And so, you know what? We're just going to be good app developers instead of the Shopify guy. This is one of the hardest things for founders to do because, and we've all fallen into this trap, is because a lot of times founders are like uh, visionaries. They see like this large opportunity and they want to try and service it. But to service it, you really have to start small. You have to start with one customer, one company, one dollar, and try and build yourself up to there. Now, you know, in the case of John, it gets increasingly difficult when maybe you do have a decent sized business and you are servicing several clients and you are making a million dollars a year to say, hey, we're going to cut a bunch of this out. We're going to chop our revenue in half and then we're going to go for this niche opportunity. This conversation is just at the top, which is why it's easy to criticize this. Like, look, niching down isn't always the right move. Sometimes you go the opposite polarity, but nine times out of 10, it feels like the right move in part because this message travels further. We're talking about a marketing message. We're talking about a brand identity. To stick to the quiver metaphor, if you pull out the arrow that's specific and the Shopify guy arrow travels a lot further than the solo media group arrow, right? Because that just gets whittled down. And one of the things a lot of founders are unwittingly doing is they're niching down in person and on the phone. It's like the moment you get on the phone, now you're niching down and that message resonates, lands you the deal, closes you the order. So why not let your marketing do that hard work for you? Well, because, you know, if someone that doesn't fit that target market reads it, they're going to disqualify themselves. Well, first off, that might be a good thing. But second off, that's not always true. And I think that's part of the hard part too. Like one of the case studies of this narrowing down was the design firm that created the Tropical MBA logo. They started to specialize, and we'll tell their story here in a bit. They started to specialize in NFT logos and got a lot of momentum in that space. And now you say, oh man, dumb idea. You niche down into a niche that doesn't exist anymore, at least for a while. <laughs> but what it actually did was got them momentum, reputation, cash flow, portfolio. And now you can take that playbook and you can drop it into any niche. And typically, that's how we're seeing companies grow. When you see solo media group, which is like, an agency that exists in 2026 and it has uh, 200 employees and all this kind of stuff, often like the story gets inverted. And so as founders, we'll take the end game and start at the end game rather than start at the beginning, which is, you know, the company started by just replacing this one small problem that people had in their marketing. And then they built the trust that way because they were so effective at it. They built their way up and became this big, powerful agency. Again, we're talking about kind of new ways to think about growing your business. Here's some numbers that really inspired me this year. I just wrote it down like this. 20% will convert at 5x, 5% will convert at 10x. What do I mean by this? If you want to double your business next year, it's easier to find new clients 
or to create more value for your current clients? I think for me, it's create more value for your current clients. But how does that work? I saw this framework one day on the web and decided to start tinkering around with it. And I think in a lot of businesses, this math will more or less be true. Which is if you take your core product, the one that has the most product market fit that delivers for your clients, and maybe you can, for a moment, disentangle what your relationship is to that client. So if you're doing a specific like ad marketing campaigns for clients and the market defines that price point, disassociate from your maybe firm's identity or your product's identity for a moment and just think about value exchange. 20% of your clients will likely pay you 5X and 5% will likely pay you 10X of what that current value exchange is. Can you work internally to try to define what that's going to be for your business? And if you don't have a 10x price point, I think that's always something to go back to the woodshed and ask yourself. Like we're even doing that over at Remote First where we're, we're having, you know, we do like more traditional headhunting at that high, high price point now for people who ask. And again, we're doing it with this DC Scale product that we talked about recently on the show that Ian's been working on quite a bit. So I think this is probably one of the quickest wins you can have if you're seeking to grow in the new year. And a couple of things like practically about how to do this. Some people, including myself, might be sitting there thinking like, well, how am I going to charge my existing customers 10 times what I charge them now? And the first thing is it starts with a conversation. So having an open conversation with your customers or clients about the types of services and products that they maybe already buy from someone else at 10x the price might be related to what you sell. It might not be related to what you sell. But just asking them these types of questions like, what is it that you buy that's 10 times as expensive? Or what is it that you would be willing to buy? So part of the problem there is like, maybe they don't consider you a provider of that product, maybe because it's premium and you're not. But so that's going to be something that you have to overcome with yourself and with them. But I think first things first, just like try and have a conversation. And then from there, kind of figure out if it's something that you want to offer or that you can offer. And maybe you're already the 10x solution. Maybe they're already buying things that are less expensive. So you could go the other way too. Go down and say, well, what's less expensive that I can sell more of? Yeah, it could have all these positive effects to explore it through the conversations you're talking about. And maybe if I were to rewrite this point, I'd say play with pricing dynamics. Because I think, and maybe I'm overcompensating because so much of the conversation online about SMBs and, and stuff is just double your prices, man. Just double your price. Go ahead and double your prices. Well. What I'm seeing is that less than half of the people are going to buy if you double your prices. What I've seen in my time as an entrepreneur is price is the thing that contains the most information about your product. It's like the densest moment of information about your product. The people that talk about it not mattering that much, I would just want more specifics on that. I think it matters a ton. And so maybe if I rewrite the point, Ian, it's just play with pricing dynamics. Figure out what the pricing dynamics are in your business. Test the limits, test the boundaries, go up, go down. You could even play with it the other way, which is like, maybe if you have a big audience, but your conversion rate's small, you could have a, a lot bigger audience if you had like a tripwire product and you have a lot of people in that. You say, well, I got a hundred people to buy my tripwire, my affordable product. Now five, five to 10% will probably buy 10X, whatever that was. So now you can play with that dynamic or 
perhaps there's a product that has network effects that, so say, for example, you have a really high-end agency offering that costs five to 10 grand a month or multiple thousands of dollars a month. Well, maybe you could just have a Slack community where you allow your customers to DIY for a hundred bucks a month. Anyway, play around with those pricing dynamics. I really believe that price is something that the big dogs care about. Like they care a ton. They play so much. The Amazons of the world, the Ubers of the world. Price is everything. Yet here in the lifestyle business land, we talk about price isn't that important and we should just go out and double them. And I just want to say like, well, if you can, try. Maybe you can double your prices. But my point is it matters. It matters what your price is. It's the number one quickest way to change how people behave with your product. And so play with that in 2023 might be a pretty decent way for you to grow your business. I know what it feels like to show up to a job board and understand that whatever price you're going to pay and whatever amount of time you're going to spend writing that job ad, that's just a fraction of the whole deal. Hiring takes a ton of time and money, especially if you get it wrong. That's why in 2023, we've created a more affordable way for you to work directly with our experienced recruiters to help you get the result and the hire you're seeking. Check out our new service. It's called Guided Hire, and it starts at just $14.97. With Guided Hire, an experienced team member on our team will help you determine a hiring strategy and promote it to the best candidates, even if they're not on our own job board. Dynamite jobs. We'll help you track them down and hand deliver and filter for you only the very best applications. Our recruiters are executing this best-in-class strategy all day, every day with great results. In fact, last year, we made over 100 direct hires. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. Let me just read some of these. Our recent hire, senior designer in Colorado, a full-stack engineer in Kosovo, technical support in Hungary, technical project manager in Dominican Republic, all kinds of jobs, all kinds of locations, all kinds of salaries. Check out our team at remotefirstrecruiting.com. We can help run the strategy for you and guide you to the result you seek. So save time, get expert support, and execute a world-class hiring strategy for every single hire. Head on over to remotefirstrecruiting.com and give the team a call. All right, so number one, niche down to blow up. Number two, play around with pricing dynamics. Number three, Take the time to develop a clear strategy. So, okay, maybe you listened to an episode last year about business growth. You hired some key players for your team or you've set aside some time for you to work on your business, not in your business. What the heck are you going to do? For us last year, a lot of that meant like going to business coaching and having to confront some interesting realizations sometimes bewildering that maybe, oh, we don't really have a clear strategy. I mean, we might have an implicit strategy, but not a clear one. And part of the reason that's a problem is because other people can't follow a strategy that necessarily that's not clear. You got a couple people maybe partially hitting the strategy part of the time, but just by luck. What strategy is can be pretty complicated, but I think we start with like what strategy isn't or how it's often gotten wrong. So in the big dog space, in startups, in classic corporations, it's traditionally been considered that strategy is essentially operational excellence. So this idea that you're going to do 
everything just as good as the next company, but you're going to do it at a slightly lower price. This is essentially a common way for a larger organization to think about strategy. And I don't know, there's so many different niches you can think about this in, like maybe FedEx versus UPS versus the US Postal Service. Like these are basically parcel services in the US. Like for many, many years there, one of the key strategies is just operational efficiency. Like who's going to get that package there sooner? That's going to be enough to win the market. That's what strategy is in the marketplace. Over here on the lifestyle business side of things, we often think of strategy as our plan, our desires, our dream line, our sort of product roadmap. These are the sorts of things that can act as a strategy. Even niching down like that marketing message, I think part of the power of that is like strategy can follow from that, right? Like if you have this like really clear thing, like we do offshore talent or whatever, some kind of strategic things can follow that. But that's not necessarily a strategy. So defining what might be an organizational strategy, there's basically a bunch of different ways to do this. So we'll just cover two. And maybe something that if you have a day or a few hours, you can step aside and do some organizational thinking. The first is if you Google it, the Jim Collins flywheel. And what the flywheel exercise is essentially identifying the key actions in your business that begets the next key action, that begets the next key action, that fundamentally drives value to your clients. When we did the Jim Collins flywheel exercise, one of the realizations we found is that because we weren't clear about what our strategy was, a lot of our behaviors, conversations, and team members actually existed off of the flywheel. Like the actual flywheel that was driving value for our clients a lot of our team members weren't even, they were like in neighboring counties and they were doing things that were good and everybody agreed that they were good, but they weren't on the flywheel. And now you've got a flywheel with specific actions that drive value, that have momentum, that have KPIs so you can track this stuff. And now you can specifically put people that are talented on it. I think I'm going to like amend this flywheel thing, Dan, to add some more gears in there. Because like for me, I always think of a car because it has a flywheel. So our team members are like the actions are like the planetary gears. And the planetary gears are the gears inside of the main gear that turns the outer gear, which is essentially the flywheel. So I think we're going to have to build a new structure here or here. But essentially, yeah, it's like we had team members that were not part of this mechanism. Basically, there were gears that were floating in space that were turning. Maybe they were like turning a little bit of like revenue, but like they weren't connected to each other. There was no belt between them. There was no teeth between them. They were just like turning out there. And so trying to get everybody on the same flywheel this year has been really interesting. And part of it is like a unifying strategy for the company. Yeah, I mean, there's a classic article that we'll post to on this. It's called What is Strategy? It's a Harvard Business School article. There's a lot of great case studies in there, but one of the things that really resonated with our company is you had like when Southwest came out, they had this like really clear strategy of being this low cost airline, which is incredibly innovative at the time. They kind of worked backwards from that. It wasn't like, hey, and by the way, have a low cost. It was like, that's who we are as an airline. Like we're going to rethink everything, how people board the plane. We're going to rethink the meals. We're going to rethink how people put fuel on the airplane. Like Everything starts from the strategy and we work backwards from maintenance 
from customer service, from everything. That's a clear strategy. We're here to drive that low price for our consumers. The reason this reminds me so much of like niching down until it hurts or like niche down to blow up, it's the organizational version of that. What is a strategy? It is a painful constraint about your mission in the marketplace and how your entire operation is roped into that promise. It's Jack White saying, you know what? There's only going to be two people in this rock and roll band. We're not going to be able to bring in the saxophone to fill out the solo. There's two people. We're going to be a great rock and roll band. And that's the constraint. It's you saying that I'm going to come up with a marketing slogan, the Shopify app guy, that doesn't apply to 35% of my clients right now. And that's a constraint because I want to drive this message home that our strategy is going to be 100% organized around this deliverable. And because the whole organization is organized around that, we can't be copied easily. That's the idea. We cannot be copied. We will sit alone in the marketplace. The advantage of a small remote team is that you can state who you are, both in your marketing copy and niching down and with your operational strategy and say, we're going to use this strategy as a constraint to deliver in this way. I think maybe five, six years ago, we didn't really know that this could be a thing. And that's why we're bringing it up right now. It's like, I don't know, it's just kind of like blank space in here. It's like, yeah, like our product was the constraint or our marketing was the constraint. But now as our organization is growing a little bit bigger, these things can happen at the operational and decision-making level so that the whole team can figure out how to get their gear closer to that flywheel. And so that's the number three point, build a compelling strategy. My final thought here, Dan, on strategy is like, I think one of the reasons why lifestyle businesses don't employ strategies very often is number one, they're hard to come up with. And number two, I think you kind of have to determine who your enemies are, which a lot of people aren't willing to do. So like in sports, you know, you're like getting ready to like play a big game. Like you're watching tapes of the other team and like how they play. You're trying to figure out a strategy to like win, basically. It's the same when you're fighting a battle on the battlefield. You have some kind of strategy, like you have limited resources. But in both of these cases, like you've identified an enemy. And I think for us, um, a lot of times starting businesses on the internet is just like wide open. Right? You're like, oh, I don't have... I mean, just look how much money there is out here. It's amazing, all this money that's floating around here. But in reality, I think you have to identify who your enemies are. And sometimes they're theoretical enemies, but a lot of times they're like real companies that are taking a stand in the marketplace and you're going to have to take an oppositional stand or you're going to have to take a similar stand with a different strategy. And it's hard to do. Again, like you said, it's hard to say these are the things that we um, deliver on. This is our unique value proposition. Other thing too is just over the last like five, six, seven years, watching people like get into Amazon businesses and then starting to watch people get out of Amazon businesses. Like there was like a real strategy there in terms of like how to win on Amazon. And I still think in a lot of ways there is, but like that strategy is disappearing because more people know it. A lot of these companies are like getting rolled up. And I hear just people like moaning and moaning and moaning about Amazon, like even more than they used to two or three years ago, which was already a lot. It was already peak moan. Yeah, it was peak moan. And part of the reason is just because most people's strategy is eroding. The opportunity isn't as clear as it used to be. 
and therefore the strategy isn't as clear. So strategies come and go, strategies change, but I definitely think you need a strategy if you want to win. There's an interesting discussion here. We could push it deeper. What's when does a strategy become a tactic? Perhaps if you had a robust strategy from an organizational perspective about how you were building and developing and ranking products on Amazon, you could immediately respond when that started breaking down rather than just being completely beholden to a smaller view of like the tactic of continuing to try to bump one ranking up to get the sales pumping or whatever. So there's also like this kind of idea of flexibility in a really nicely done strategy, which it should be flexible. It should be sort of survived the first punch kind of thing. It should be able to be executed by everybody in the organization and it should be highly adaptive. Let's move on to the fourth one. What do you say? So we've already done niche down to blow up, play with your pricing dynamics and build that killer strategy. Number four, I'm going to go with install a daily stand-up meeting practice in your business. It could be a la scaling up with your entire team. It could be with your executive team or it could be with your buddy or it could be with a client or some kind of habit that maybe is irrespective. Figure out a way to come to the table every single day to talk to somebody intelligent in a structured way about your business. In our case last year, that was with an executive team meeting And not only were we coming to the table to talk about the priorities in the business and how we're going to roll those out, but we were getting third parties involved. And I think that's important because those things can become an echo chamber if you don't like invite groups in from the business, coaches, key clients. Like we have a key client one tomorrow where like someone who's a stakeholder in what you're doing comes by and like educates the team or gives you a little market insight or especially like challenges you with some feedback or some ways to improve. But one of the things I've just heard over, you know, like adding a little bit of more grown up in this into some lifestyle businesses that a lot of founders really resist going to a daily stand-up call. It's not cool, man. It's totally not cool, man. But I think it leads to results. And guess what? It's also not forever. So set up that daily stand-up call if you want to grow the next year. Figure out who stakeholders are in your business. Get them to that call. There's a bunch of different formats on the internet. You can do them in 15 minutes. You can start them at weird times. You can do them in multiple time zones. This is where people have to stand up and say, yo, I understand the strategy. Here's the key thing I'm going to do today that's in line with that strategy. Here's how y'all can help me like get over my blockers or whatever. Bam, I'm off. I'm feeling energized. Here's the thing. Like most people aren't really that motivated by just staring at their computer. Like it's really helpful to have another human face understand. It's like, hey, I care about what you're doing today. You brought up something which I think is important, which is they don't have to last forever. You know, we had a daily stand-up when we were building DJ from like kind of the ground up for like every day for basically two years. We're kind of transitioning out of that to a different call now, which I think is good. So these things, they don't have to last forever. Number one. Number two, they don't need to view you very long. So like you said, they can be just like 15-minute check-in. Number three, if you really don't want to do a daily stand-up, there's like other ways to do this, like through Slack, daily updates. You send like a message, but like basically have a consistent format at a consistent time of day. And it can kind of serve the same purpose, I think, if you don't want to be in person. 
One thing else I'll say is like we're kind of reevaluating our meetings based on our scorecards and our scoreboards. And I don't want to like get too deep into this because I think we should probably do a full episode on it. But basically, um, we have individual scorecards for people on our team, and then that leads to a scoreboard. So it's a prompt basically to have a conversation. Yeah. And if you're thinking this, if you listen to point number four and you're like, ah, I'm a solo founder and I just have a couple of contractors, I don't need to do number four. And you're wrong. I believe that you should have a solo founder buddy. This is a great way. I mean, look, if your learning style isn't like this, fine. But I suspect that there's a lot of unlocked value out there in this listenership. If you find somebody else through a pick your entrepreneurship network, someone else who's on the warpath like you and it's like, yo, let's do a daily stand up with each other, daily check in for the next month, just one month. And then sure, we'll go in different directions or whatever. See how that goes for you until you get your lieutenant or your right hand, who that person will then become your daily stand-up. A lot of potential value there in the daily stand-up. All right, number five, build out your ICP. It's not just a great band from the 90s. ICP is an important business concept. When I was talking to former guests on the podcast, Eamon Al-Abdullah, I was sitting in a pool with them at a tropical location. We were chilling in the pool, drinking an adult beverage. And I said, Eamon, Ian and I want to grow our business massive. I said, we're thinking eight figures. He looks at me and I don't know if this is because he had an adult beverage. I don't remember what he's drinking. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What he says is, oh yeah, it could be nine figures. Nine figures, I say. I can't believe this. I can't believe I'm in a pool with Avon Al-Abdullah and he thinks I could go to nine figures. What do I got to do to get to nine figures? I say, he says, you need an ICP. It's the first thing he brings to the table in this casual conversation is, do you really know who your clients are? Ideal client profile. Go in depth. Ours are over 500 words long for each person. What do they do? Where do they live? What are their businesses like? What are their attitudes and beliefs like? Why are they great clients? What sorts of other products do they buy? Really dig into who the ICP is. Why is this empowering? It helps you figure out where they exist. It helps you figure out where to find them, number one. It helps you have that operational focus and strategy where, hey, look, uh, we call it like the Nike principle in-house. If you build an amazing product for the ICP, There's a lot of other people out there who are going to want it. And so the concept with the Nike shoes is like, just because it's they're built for Olympians doesn't mean a guy like me who's 20 pounds overweight and looking to drop a few LBs doesn't want to put on the Olympic champion Nikes, right? I wear Jordans. I don't want to wear the shoe that's designed for the overweight dude who's looking to get back into gym in the spring. Like imagine if that was a section in the shoe store. They probably got extra weird supports on them and stuff. It'd be awkward and embarrassing. I want the Olympian shoes. Thanks a lot. But the idea is, okay, so if you build for your ICP, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily limited to your ICP that perhaps that can hone the product and be better for the broader market in general. But I do think it's interesting that this is what Eamon brought to us is like that sort of first step. Let's talk about who your best customers are because All this other stuff that we talked about in today's episode sort of follow from that. Your marketing angle being narrowed, 
again, what's the theme of the episode? Focus, 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 tinker, 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 focus, 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 tinker, tinker, tinker. Perhaps having an ICP that's really fleshed out is a good sort of starting ground for doing a lot of the other exercises in the episode. It's kind of fun work to do too, especially if like you look at who's actually buying your product and then you start to talk with them. It's another reason why like B2C business to customer is so difficult because like your ICP is a lot of people. It's like selling toothpaste. Everyone uses toothpaste. So my ICP is everyone basically. But then again, like going back to the top of the episode in terms of like niching down, well, it's like everyone that uses toothpaste believes in herbal this and that or believes that toothpaste should have this flavor or believes that, you know, so you have to like niche down number one. And then you also have to develop your ICP. Very hard to do on uh, the B2C side. Much easier to do on the B2B side. So that's the final one. Build out your ICP. There's a bunch of exercises online. You can find out about how to do that. Just to review, niche down to blow up, play with your pricing dynamics, build a clear strategy, start doing daily stand-up calls, and build out your ideal client profile. Bam, we got a lot of them. I got a couple extra honorable mentions. One of the ones I wrote down is like, be less smart. And maybe this isn't, this is why I didn't make it to the episode. What I mean is like, write shit down on a spreadsheet or on a document in long form. Don't just like say it to your team, like write it out what your argument is. And sometimes it's like pretty illuminating. And you're like, oh man, it sounded smart, but there's not a lot of there there. I'll give you an example of this related, unrelated. Like I have this piece of property. I'm like, oh, should I build some metal buildings on it? Should I put some yurts on it? Like should, oh, there's this like tent camping app. I'll just like throw it up there for $10, you know? And like finally, like uh, a month ago, like I just opened the spreadsheet and I like put down the real numbers for like what everything's going to cost and like what the opportunities are. And I was like, now I can kind of put this to bed. I don't just like have to keep talking circles around it. It's like, it's there. Like anytime I want to like know what the opportunity is, I just like open the spreadsheet. So a thumbs up on externalizing the plan. Spend 50% or less of your time doing operational work. I think that's a pretty obvious one, right? As a founder, yeah. Yeah, as a founder. Here's one. How about producing conversations with clients no matter what the reason? No matter what the reason, just talk to your clients about anything. Talk to them about the NFL football playoffs. Just talk to them about whatever they want to talk about. Now you're talking old school sales, like knowing your customers' kids' names, sending them birthday presents. But here's a real way that you can implement this today that we are actually doing yesterday. And that is that we are onboarding our clients in Slack, our recruiting clients. A hot tip. A hot tip. And here's the reason why is because email sucks. I mean, email's so, so hard sometimes to like get through to people, to get answers in time. Like I'm pretty bad at email these days because I have so many, but I'm really good at Slack because I got to open all the time. So one of the things that we started to do recently was onboard our clients into Slack so we can have real-time conversations about hiring because it's faster. That's a hot tip. You had to listen to the end to hear that one, boss man. You're being very coy. I love it. You know what I don't want to talk about? I don't want to talk about when I'm going to buy something from you. I just would like to talk about anything other than that. Final one I got, go viral. How about that? (laughs) Yeah, this is always the best. We should have started with that one. By the way, we're going to have a guest coming on the show pretty shortly who built his agency to $3 million by not productizing. I'm not going to give too much away, but came to a lot of interesting conclusions similar to what we were talking about today, but one that he pointed out 
that we did not today was network. I'll quote him and without citation because we'll cite it with a full episode pretty soon. You're as smart as ambitious as the people you hang out with. Having friends smarter than you is a true hack. That's it for this week's episode, but we've gotten some emails, commentary about the new logo, about the new direction. People want us to do some things we used to do, like talk about the music we're listening to. So my song of the week, the song that I've been rocking to, what I'm working to this month is The Devil Mr. Jones off of Spoon's new effort from last year. And I bring up Spoon to bring up continuity. It's like, have you guys started listening to any new bands or is it just going to be the bands you talked about back in 2009? You're going to have to stick around to find out. Well, I read something lately and it said uh, like over 40 or 50. I can't remember it, but it was like basically new music discovery like drops to like zero. So I'm not going to be a part of that trend. I'll tell you that. I'm going to fight that trend. And I'll say this, speaking of trends, what is the over under on an AI writing a number one hit song? What's the year? Because it will happen. Well, Ed Sheeran might be an AI, but someone's going to come along and write a number one song and it's going to be a computer and we're all going to love it. I got to say 2027, 2027. Yeah, I was going to say 29. 29. All right. You heard it here yeah. first. It's going to be 2028 hit song. Thanks for listening to our hit podcast. Hopefully we won't be replaced until 2020, 29. See you next Thursday morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.